Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to episode 10 of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And uh, today's guest, I have to admit, we were just chatting uh, before we started recording and I'm, I'm particularly excited about uh, some of the things um, that our guest is, is passionate about. Uh, with leadership, and so I think it's going to be a great conversation. Today's guest is Dr. Jeremy Owa. Uh, he's the superintendent of schools for Jacksonville North Pulaski School District. He began his career in 2003 as an English teacher at Parkview Magnet High School in the Little Rock School District. He served as the Dean of Students at Mills University Studies High School in the Pulaski County Special School District from 2008 to 2009. Prior to being named the assistant principal at Ridge Road Middle School in the North Little Rock School District, he served as a principal at Fuller Middle School in the Pulaski County Special School District before being named principal at JA Fair Systems Magnet High School in the Little Rock School District in 2011. Uh, Dr. Owa served as the assistant superintendent of curriculum and instruction and desegregation at Jacksonville North Pulaski School District for two years. And in 2017, Dr. Owa was named the Assistant Commissioner of Educator Effectiveness and Licensure, uh, apologies if I mispronounced that, in September of 2018, uh, Arkansas Commissioner of Education, Johnny Key, appointed Dr. Owa as the Superintendent of Schools for the Pine Bluff School District. In addition to his experience in public schools, Dr. Owa has served as an adjunct professor and instructor, as well as an affiliate faculty member at Arkansas Tech University at Russellville and the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Currently, Dr. Owa serves as the superintendent of schools for the Jacksonville North Pulaski School District. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in English education with a concentration in secondary education from the University of Central Arkansas at Conway, a Master of Science degree in secondary education with concentrations in reading and writing from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, an educational specialist degree in educational leadership from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, and a doctorate of education in educational administration and supervision from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. I think I just said education about 10 times. So in other words, Dr. Owa has a lot of experience and education in education. Um, he also completed the Little Rock School District Leadership Academy in 2010 and the Urban Superintendents Academy from the University of Southern California Dr. Owa is a member of numerous professional and community organizations, including the Arkansas Association of Educational Administrators, National Alliance of Black School Educators, Junior Achievement of Arkansas, and Goodwill Industries of Arkansas. Governor uh, Asa Hutchinson appointed Dr. Owa to the Desegregation Litigation Oversight Subcommittee in 2015. He's a life member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, Inc., and he and his wife, Katrina, are blessed with a son, Jackson. Uh, well, Dr. Jeremy Owa, it is wonderful to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, glad to join you today. <laughs> I, uh, I, like I said, I'm so excited to chat about the things that, that you're, I guess, to chat about some of the things that you're really passionate about, because I, 
uh, I, I'm really interested uh, in your perspective on a number of things. But before we jump into any of that, I'd love to, and I'm sure listeners would love as well, to hear your story as far back as you want to go. You know, what, what's the Dr. Jeremy Owa story of how, you know, you, you came to be the leader that you are today? All right. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Yes, um, I'm fortunate to have um, the experience that I've had uh, over uh, these past 42 years. My uh, dad, uh, most people are interested in knowing the background of my last name, Owa. Uh, mm. My dad is from Nigeria, Africa, and in fact, in Nugu State, Nigeria. And he was an uh, international student uh, here in Little Rock, uh, where he met my mom and, um, they were married and had my oldest brother, Richard, uh, uh, and then the twins, myself and my twin brother came along. Uh, and then I have a younger sister, but I grew up in Southern Arkansas. Um, and educationally, um, uniquely my, since my dad, um, and I, and I was able to share this with, um, uh, my uh, staff and my students at times, we had, my brothers and I had um, some speech uh, issues growing up. My dad had a significant um, accent. And so we would, and that caused us to have uh, some speech um, issues uh, in early uh, elementary, primary grades. And so um, kindergarten, first grade, I struggled with just uh, the whole reading literacy skills uh, part. And I had a teacher uh, who really took uh, ownership and took uh, time uh, to work with me after school and during the summer to make sure that uh, I didn't have to be retained. And because wow. of that, uh, I was able to matriculate uh, on to the second grade. And um, she continued, even during the rest of my elementary years on through fifth grade, continue to work with me and provide different resources for my mom to so that she could work with me um, during the uh, out of school times, after school or during the summer. Um, and because of that, I really uh, grew a passion for reading. And um, and so I was always reading from that point on and actually became a gifted and talented student. Um, and wow. then, of course, in 11th and 12th grade, I was taking AP English courses, loved those uh, literature classes. Uh, in fact, when I matriculated to college, uh, the University of Central Arkansas, I originally became, uh, I declared uh, a business major. I was uh, planning to be a marketing major and mm. obtain my marketing degree. And all the way up to my 12th grade, the end of my junior year, um, you know, I kept uh, thinking to myself, I really, I love marketing, but I'm not really sold on doing it for the rest of my life. I, this is not where uh, I'm passionate about. And so I remember uh, the literature classes uh, that I had and really love that whole, the whole thought behind teaching literature, grammar. Um, and so I decided to take one class that summer in education in the education department. Loved it. And from that point on, um, I changed my major from marketing uh, to uh, English education. And so I became an education major and loved it ever since then. Um, 
I interned um, a year later um, at a local high school, Parkview Art Science Magnet High School in Little Rock, and they hired me the following year after my internship. So I, although I struggled in reading earlier in my life, I actually uh, ended up being a, an English teacher. So I taught ninth <laughs> and tenth grade English and uh, creative writing, and and loved it. And, and then I uh, taught developmental writing and uh, and other courses at the uh, two year technical college level as well as the university. Uh, level and so that's a quick run rundown of my educational uh, experience and how I became an educator and why I became an educator. Uh, I really feel like uh, you know we hear it all the time, but this is really uh, true to who I am: is that uh, to whom much is given, much is required. And because I had mm -hmm. so many educators and mentors who gave uh, back to me, uh, who sold into me and gave. Uh, to me uh, to make sure that I was supported and successful. You know, I felt like it was my responsibility to also uh, pay that forward and, and to give back. And and I continue, uh, even when I became an, uh, a teacher, I always wanted to have the most impact. So I always planned what wherever I could be, wherever I could serve, I wanted to have the most impact. And that's the reason why I became an administrator so that because I knew that when I closed my classroom door, I would be able to influence those 30 uh, oh. students at that time, 150 total for that school year. But if I was the administrator, I could impact the uh, educational experience for all of those students within that building. And if, if, if and when I became a, a district administrator, I would be able to have uh, an impact on even a larger scale. And uh, I've been fortunate, uh, blessed to have experiences that have given me the opportunity to have a major impact and not just over a district. When I went to the Department of Education here, here in Little Rock for the state of Arkansas, I was able to really impact uh, the education uh, as it pertains to teacher support, development, uh, recruitment, and retention uh, across the state of Arkansas. And so that was uh, a great experience uh, within itself. Yeah, that's. Uh, I appreciate you sharing uh, some of your story. And I, I have found it really interesting working with school leaders around the world. I feel like there's a pattern that's emerged for me, which is um, it's amazing how many, uh, how many school leaders had some sort of, uh, for them, there was some sort of challenge they experienced in school. I, I just, the number, I remember working with a team, a school leadership team recently, and as we went around the room, I, I think about half of these, or half of their executive team ex experienced bullying, as an example, in school. And it was one of the places that they, that for them, they, they hated being there. And it's out of that experience that they now have such empathy for students and that that fueled the passion. And I, I hear it's, it's, it's not the same, but I hear um, the, same, the same pattern, I guess, for you, which is when you were, when you were young and, and you were really uh, struggling and, and things felt like they might have been stacked against you and this, this teacher stepped in 
and she had such a profound impact on you and your family. Um, and I just love the story that you, you know, that what the area, the very area that she was helping you with in those first couple of grades is really the area that you then went and um, became exceptional in it and really found your passion in and then decided to turn around and invest in others in education. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, as when I reflect on it, I, it is, you know, it's a remarkable experience for me. It's, and it's, it's really full circle, like you said, to work in the profession um, that at one point I didn't think I would ever be successful in uh, academically. And then to have, you know, an educator to give back, you, I, I personally see the impact that one educator could have uh, on an individual's life just from personal experience. And, um, and to me, that's really like, like you said, where the passion developed because I wanted to be able to do the same thing. And um, from a student, as a student who grew up in poverty, um, you know, education that the teacher, my teachers, uh, always told me that, you know, education is something that no one can ever take away from you. And, yeah. and so you have to get as much as possible. Anytime there's time to grow, you make sure that you're doing that. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, phenomenal story. And um, I guess as you look back, and I appreciate that you gave us, <laughs> I loved reading your bio because like I said, um, there's so much education um, in there, it was. Uh, I just, I just loved your your passion for education and really how you've, uh, I guess, walked walked the walked the walk in terms of being an educator and gone and continued to educate yourself as well. Um, if you, as you look back on your career, which is which you know, like we went we went through a bit of the a bit of the winding road in the bio, and then you explained it there. What are some of the moments as you reflect that? Uh, similarly to that moment in year one or you know in grades one or two they really played a big uh, had a big impact on you becoming who you are today you know what are, what are some of those moments that really shaped you where there was a mentor where you really dropped the ball somewhere and you think but it was actually how uh, someone else led you through that or where you you had a really negative experience with a with a leader and that really shaped you know sometimes we learn what not to do um what are some of the moments that really shaped you, uh, some of the specific moments that shaped you to become who you are today? Um, well, that's a really great uh, reflective question. Um, I believe one in particular uh, is, is really going, thinking back um, even when I was in college, um, when I was at that point of not really enjoying college and not thinking that I was going to be successful in it. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't like the business courses, didn't like, and I had uh, Dr. Thiemann Taylor, he was a professor uh, at UCA, and he was the one, and he taught history, and he he told us during one day, um, we were at a um, program, and he was speaking, and he said, you have to find something that you're passionate about. Uh, when you find something that you're passionate about, then work does not work is not work. It becomes uh, 
what you enjoy, uh, what you uh, do on a daily basis to give back. And and I, you know, really realized that I did not want to be a business major and because I didn't feel like I would have an impact. And oh. so I made that decision. Um, my, my And, you know, I, I tell people that's the end of my junior year in college and I changed my degree program. Um, wow. to a completely different uh, degree program. Um, but it was uh, definitely worth it. Uh, and so for me, that was a life uh, change because I just, as a young person and um, not really knowing at that time what I was going to do and then to make that change, that was a life altering change. And um, I also tell people um during that time, the year um, before I was to graduate, um, I was with my fraternity brothers and we were, uh, we took a trip from Little Rock to Memphis. And on the way back, um, I, we were in the 15 passenger van and my, um, one of my fraternity brothers uh, who was driving uh, fell asleep and um, we had a car accident. The the van actually flipped three times and we lost uh, three of our fraternity brothers uh, wow. in that event, uh, in that accident. Mm -hmm. And um, and that was a very traumatic time mm -hmm. for me during that time. Um, but it made me really appreciate life and realize that it doesn't matter how young you are, doesn't matter how old you are, uh, the time that you have on earth is precious and you definitely got to uh, make every minute, every day, every time that you're, every moment that you're with somebody count. And, um, and so all of those things start, started to happen around the same time that really made me have a reality check that, um, that I, you know, uh, in literature, you know, we hear carpe diem, uh, seize the day. And mm -hmm. um, and that's really how I've really looked at my education, my uh, professional career, personal career, uh, personal life. I mean, uh, it's just seize the day, seize the opportunities, uh, making sure that uh, I'm, I can make an impact, even if it's one person at a time, making sure that I can make an impact um, at any time. Um, I had, when I started teaching, I had a, uh, a principal, uh, who actually, when I became a, a teacher actually moved from being a principal to an assistant soup. And he, he's definitely, a, uh, has always been a great mentor to me. And mm -hmm. he always, um, gave me wise counsel, uh, one to never burn bridges because you never know when, uh, that bridge is going to cycle back or uh, <laughs> that journey is going to bring you back to uh, that particular bridge. And that was, that's been um, so true because if you look at my career, uh, I've been fortunate to be able to leave a district, but come back to the district in a uh, different position. And, and, and then of course, in education, people don't realize, but it's, it's a really small profession as vast as it is, it's small because people are connected and, um, and your reputation, uh, a lot of the times definitely, definitely precedes you. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that's one of the advices that, um, Mr. Babs gave me was to, uh, never burn bridges and always, 
make sure you stick uh, to your word. Uh, integrity uh, means everything. And you always have your word. If you don't have anything else, uh, you have your word and you stand on it and you make the very best decisions. And uh, Mrs. Uh, Celestine Piggy, uh, one of my assistant principals when I was, when I was a teacher as well, uh, is mm. always said that too. You know, stand firm on your word, mm. uh, be a man of your word, and um, and don't ever change that. You know, and uh, and when you make decisions um, that's best for our students, then that's the very best decision. When you make the decisions based on their well-being and what's best for them, even if it turns out to be not a good decision. It's the best decision because you made it based on what our students need at that time. And um, and so um, those have been definitely some uh, integral parts in my uh, career. Um, and then um, recently um, when I, I had the opportunity to come over here to Jacksonville the first time as assistant soup. And that was a unique uh, example. Um, I mean, unique experience because the district uh, was carved out of an existing district. And that was the first time that it had ever been done in the state of Arkansas. And so to come over and help build the district, um, you know, not too many educators or uh, educational leaders have had that opportunity. So that's been a great opportunity. But my superintendent at that time who hired me told me that um, it's great to get an education um, and get the degrees, but the true education is the experience you have uh, on a daily basis with the people you serve. And, um, and that's so true because, you know, you can read about the theory, the, um, the past experience in the textbook, but you do not really learn your craft until you are working with the people you serve. And those people uh, change every year. And so you're always, and that's why it's so important that as leaders, as educators, we should always be growing because the people that we serve, the people that we support, they're changing, they're growing each year. And so it's so important that we do not remain stagnant because that can stunt their growth as well. And so educators really uh, make a difference and have a responsibility uh, to not only uh, impart uh, the academics, the behavior, educational um, support, but they too have to continue to grow uh, as lifelong learners. Yeah, that's, um, that's, uh, that's so true. Uh, and, uh, I appreciate you sharing, um, about, um, you know, that, that the tragic accident that, that you went through and I can only, um, I can't even imagine how, uh, traumatic and, and, and life shaping that would be to lose, uh, uh, to lose three friends, um, in a car accident like that. And, and, uh, and the amazing advice you received around uh, not burning bridges. Uh, I love that. And it's, it's so true. And it's, it's proven to be true f for me as well. I would completely agree that um, you hear it and you think, ah, oh, but then you live it out and it only takes a few years and things come back around and, uh, and you're very thankful yes. that, you, <laughs> that you protect when you, when you could burn a bridge for the, because it would feel good. You, you don't, and you, you choose another path and it, it works out for the best. Um, 
yeah, that's that's excellent. So I'm interested to ask you about um, for you, you know, when it comes to building a culture, whether it's in the in a classroom, whether it's in a school, and particularly across a uh, you know across a whole region uh, for for a department, what is it for you that really defines culture and, and anything specific for education and a lot of these principles usually go beyond industry and they're quite universal in my experience that that you found is really helpful for investing in culture well and i think the culture is really the pulse the the pulse of the organization the things that uh, that are happening behind the scenes, the things that are happening, um, and the, the tone, the theme, the the whole, um, I guess, persona for the best, for the uh, lack of a better word, of the organization. Like what really the attitude um, and the behavior of the organization, and and um, and so for me, school school culture or district culture is really important. I mean, if you're going to um, build an instructional setting or environment where students, uh, and we call our students here in Jacksonville Scholars, where they will be successful and where our staff members will continue to grow and uh, we could continue to in, uh, increase their capacity, then the culture has to be addressed and and I think the only re the way that you can really influence culture is the relationships because relationships can either grow it positively or it can impact it negatively and and so you have to invest in uh, the people who you work with and who you serve and and, and you cannot expect to do anything else within the uh, educational setting within the organization without building those relationships first. Um, and that's teachers with students, uh, teachers with parents, uh, principals with teachers, support staff members, students, um, parents, and even for me as a superintendent, community, my staff members, my, my, my scholars, my parents, relationships. Um, you have to build authentic relationships uh, before you can do anything else. It, before you can even uh, crack open the text to, to teach, you have to build those relationships. Um, students are going to respond favorably, favorably and positively if they have relationships with that teacher. A teacher, uh, and I always tell my principals this, because I believe it as a leader. When we have staff members to leave, they don't leave our students. They don't leave the school. They leave, when they leave that building, they leave the leader. Something that the leader did not do or did that wasn't positively impactful for uh, that particular person. So you have to, even when you have to discipline a student or a staff member, there has to be a relationship there. Mm. And what, what advice would you give? I, I think this is an area where uh, a lot of leaders that, uh, that I've worked with, you know, often there'll be a point where they're not aware that it's something that they struggle with. And then there's that moment of self-reflection, of self-awareness, 
an aha moment where they go, oh, okay, this isn't something that I'm necessarily naturally gifted at. I'm going to need to grow in this. What advice would you give to a leader who knows they need to grow in relationship building when it comes to um, well, this? how do you do that really well? Well, first, it's, it's the acknowledgement of it. I mean, you you have to realize that everyone, every leader will not be 100% prepared for every situation and 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 no and they're not going to be able to engage and and interact positively uh, from start with every person they encounter. But just as we expect our teachers um, to build professional growth plans, participate in professional learning, uh, our leaders have to do that too. If if you know that you are charged to work with a diverse group of individuals, uh, people you serve, then, and then you know that's not your strength, then that's a growth opportunity for you. And that those are the professional learning, um, uh, expect, I mean, professional learning uh, goals that you need to create for yourself. I, I tell people um, I'm an introvert who grew to become an extrovert at the times I need to be an extrovert um, <laughs> because I, I, I could be fine just by myself, but I, I, I could be home by myself reading and content. But as a leader, I can't be an introvert and build relationships with my staff. I can't be an introvert and lead and make the tough decisions that need to be made. I can't be an introvert and build the relationships within the community or initiate initiate the conversations that have to be had with my board members or with my parents or with my staff members. Um, and so I have to take ownership of that and look at uh, the aspects of my per personal and professional life that I need to grow in. And and so as leaders, we have to take time to look at that. What, what are some areas that I can fine tune or that I can grow in? And if you truly want to be impactful in, in that role as a leader, then you're going to take time to invest in those areas and, and build that foundation uh, uh, in it. And, and that's what I've learned all the time that I mean, over these years is that um, you cannot start any uh, project, any um, program, any initiative without getting to state, taking time to getting to know the people uh, you're working with and you're supporting and serving. And um, and that's so key that uh, a lot of people would like to just jump into the work and 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 think that they're going to uh, get everyone to join in and take ownership of it but that's totally false uh people are going to work hard for people that they know and um one that they know that they care about them but also yeah. that they've taken time to get to know them and build those relationships so before you can jump into any major work you have to make sure you invest in getting to know uh, the people around you and giving them the opportunity uh, to get to know you. So a lot of times um, as leaders, we're so quick to uh, talk all the time and have all the answers. But a lot, but we need to listen more than we talk um, and respond uh, because 
uh, we don't do that enough. And I think uh, a lot of times we miss out on the important things because we're always talking and not listening. Yeah, I, uh, I love that. I think it's so true. I think um, sometimes as leaders, we, we don't see building connection and getting to know people as a, it, it's not a KPI. You know, it's, it's not a, I've got more, I've got more important things to do. And um, I think it's really helpful to, to realize and, and have that lens to understand that before you're going to achieve anything significant with a group of people, I love what you said. They need to know that you care, and uh, they need to they need to feel known. They need to they need to have a sense that you know them. Uh, I think um, there's a there's a book by Patrick Lencioni about employee engagement, and he talks about one of the three big things that disengages employees is a sense of anonymity. If I feel anonymous, particularly for my leader, if I feel uh, anonymous, mm-hmm. like I'm not known you your chance of engaging me and your chance of keeping me particularly you know if it's a great employee i think that's i think we really underestimate the significance of of what you just said and and i think that's um we're actually doing a book study across the district i'm even doing it with my board members it's called fearless schools by douglas reeves and it's talking about building trust and resilience for learning, teaching, and leading. And one of the things that really spoke volumes to me is as leaders, we have to remember to take the people who are going to be impact, in, impacted by our leadership, by our, by our roles, take them along with us on the journey. And don't expect them to just come in at the end of your journey and then be all right with everything, to be okay with uh, the decisions you've made. If you're, if you're, if you know there's a need, why not bring them, the people who are going to be impacted on the front end and bring them to the table and let them have an active voice then versus during uh, solving the issue or putting something in place and, and then you're shocked by the fact that they don't agree with what has been done or you didn't get the response that you thought you were. Well, that's because they didn't have a say in it. They didn't have a role in it. They didn't have a voice uh, in it. And so the book talks about, you know, if, if you don't provide that opportunity to bring people along with you, you're going to allow gaps to happen. And when you allow gaps to happen within your organization, that allows people to fill in the gaps. And that's how the distrust starts. Because if you don't provide people the opportunity to know the why we do uh, things, the how we do it, uh, when we're going to do it, then they're just going to assume and it's not a bad thing on their part. It's because the leader has not given the opportunity or provided the information to fill in those gaps um, with the people or, or for the people who's going to be who are going to be impacted by those decisions or that program or initiative, that decision uh, that's being made. Wow, that's that's so profound. I've never heard that before. The idea of uh, gaps, but I love it. Um, can you? Sorry to ask you to. To explain that again, but I think it's so good. I personally want to hear it <laughs> again. Can you explain the the this idea of gaps and how if you don't fill the gaps as a leader, then then others will? That's just blowing my mind. 
Yeah. So, um, and, and I, I tell you that it, it really made me pause and, and say, wow, that, that's so true. Um, it's when, you know, leaders make decisions, uh, decisions, and then even though they think they're going to be impactful for uh, the people or the organization, but they not provided the opportunity for uh, the individuals to be at the table, to have voice in the process. And so the process is the journey. And so if, if you don't allow people to walk with you or join you on their journey, that creates gaps of information of, of the know-how or the why behind it or the, the understanding of the need uh, behind it. And so when you have those gaps and you don't take time to uh, allow people to understand the need and the reason why, the rationale, then you have then allowed those gaps to form. And then people from all over the organization will fill in their own gaps. And I, t- and I, the joke with my staff here is the street committee. You know, you always have a street committee. Uh, that's the rumor mill. And if you allow gaps, if you make a decision and there's, you haven't been able to, you haven't taken the time to talk to the people and explain to the people uh, who are going to in, be impacted by those decisions, then they're going to fit, the street committee is going to fill in those gaps. That's your social media. That's your uh, car line people. Those, those are your uh, discussions and dialogues in the teacher lounges or at the water fountain. Um, this is the reason why he's doing this, or this is the reason why this is, well, that's the fault belongs to the arrest with the leader because the leader hasn't taken the time. And that's part of the trust building and the relationship building is taking the time to bring the people who are going to be impacted by your decisions along with you. Instead, you try to bring them to the table at the end when the decision has already been made. Well, yeah. that's not going to work well. That's just so, so you kind of you, so you have to make sure you fill in the gaps and 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 not allow those gaps to be there because then others will fill in those gaps. I think uh, what I love about that idea is that when you start hearing rumors, when you start seeing uh, mistrust, it's easy to. It's easy to blame it on uh, on the people. What is it? You know, why are they thinking like that? And uh, you know, to to blame it on the <laughs> on the street committee, on the rumor mill, and and find fault outside. But it's a great mm-hmm. self reflection. It's a great check for a leader to say, okay, well, if they're thinking that, then they've filled in the gaps, which means I left a gap. Where did I leave the gap? How have I not engaged right. with people and? explained it to people um how have i not allowed them to be part of the journey um, so that there was a gap that they've then filled in with something that's not true or something that's a miscommunication that's so true and 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 that's where i i as a leader that i always try to do i always make sure that i take time throughout the day or throughout the week to have that time where i self-reflect and as and I share with my building leaders and department leaders, you have to do that. You know, how have I communicated effectively? What went well with that? What could I 
could have done better? And then actually engage your people. Uh, you know, what part of this was clear for you or what could I expound more on? Uh, one of the things in this book, uh, Fearless Schools, that I highlighted, it says that goes along with what we're talking about now. It says when employees only hear the announcements of changes without understanding the rationale behind these changes, emotional distance, distrust, and paralyze, um, and paralyze can follow. Um, That's so true. Change is associated. Change is associated with fear and fear breeds distrust. So even when, if as a leader, you have the best intentions, oh. if you don't take time to explain the rationale or the need behind it, that's when you allow those gaps to form and people will fill them in. And then, and that's when leaders get the reactions that they were not prepared to receive. Yeah, that's... Um... So yeah, I love that when you when you give the announcement, but you don't give the rationale behind the announcement. Um, there's a, one of my favourite books uh, is uh, Blue Blue Ocean Strategy, and uh, I love that book as a new way of strategic planning. And there's just one section in the book where they talk about how to implement change well through an organisation. I think they call it the people part of change, the people part of strategic planning. You know, how do you actually get your people on board and they talk about three E's uh, and the first E is engagement, engage with people, the second E is explain and the third E is, is um, expectations and I feel like what we often do as leaders if we come, if we if we bring people to the table when the decision's already been made, we're just coming with the expectations. Okay everyone, this is the decision we've made right. and now this is what we need you to do. Here's the change we need you to make, here's the new way we're doing things and we completely skip engaging which is what you're talking about, bringing them on the journey, engaging, letting them weigh in, not being threatened or, or afraid that your people are going to derail the whole process, uh, but actually realizing that having them on the journey is part of a successful process. So everyone wins. And then explaining, and this is the funny thing, that's why I love this, uh, this idea that you've just said about announcement. Don't just give the announcement, give the rationale behind it. I think sometimes as leaders, we just need to explain things. We just need to actually say to people, you know what, this is, it was really clear that, that there was a group of people who really wanted this. And uh, for us as, uh, you know, as leaders, we looked at it, but because of X, Y, and Z, even though, you know, there were some really good arguments for that, we decided that because of these things, it was actually going to be more important in our view to do this. And sometimes we don't want to say that because we feel uh, afraid but I think explaining the rationale, even when it's a case of, hey, we, we disagree with some of the things that, that you put together. I think people acknowledge that. I think people sometimes, they go, oh, okay, they respect me enough to tell me, to, to tell it like exactly. it is and actually be up front with me. Um, that's, that's really profound, Jeremy. I'm going to be thinking about this gaps idea, I think, for the next couple of months. That's just blown my mind. <laughs> I love well, it. But, but you're so true. The, um, the respect means a lot that you, you, you're so true, especially when you're dealing with other adults. Mm. When you take time to share the information, and I, I've, I've shared this with my uh, leaders before, there's nothing in the school system when about decision making at this level that should be a secret 
to any and everybody. The budget mm. should not be a secret. The way we uh, hire, employ people should not be a secret. Our process, none of that should be a secret. So why, I always wonder, why do leaders hold all of that to their chest and yeah. not take time to explain? You know, so many times I think we would have um, such better or more effective relationships between educators, I mean, teachers and administrators, support staff and administrators, if we just take time to respect their roles and ex and take time to explain to them, this is the reason why we cannot give a raise. So this is the reason why we're having to close this school or make this decision or make this personnel decision. But so many times we just tell them this is the decision that's going to be made mm. and expect them to be all right with that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I saw an example of this through the pandemic with a, a leader who I thought did this really well. They, they in their organization, they weren't being affected uh, severely, but they, they knew that if, if certain variables happened, they could be. And so they were really in that limbo where they, uh, they, they didn't know, like, it wasn't, things weren't going really badly, but also there was the threat of that. And one thing that I really respected that they did is they got their team together and they said, uh, uh, and it was a smaller organization, and they said to their team, hey, this is where we see this could go. And we just want to say that if, if, if you know, X, Y, or Z happens, here's, here's the plan. And, and it included things like, um, you know, we're not going to let anyone go because for them that wasn't going to be, you know, I know a lot of organizations, they had to take drastic steps. But for them, they said, that's not our plan. Our plan is that if the worst was to happen in our industry, we would recommend um, all of us taking a cut of 20%. And they really got ahead of it and really told people. And it wasn't, it wasn't like they were announcing good news. But because they just let everyone into the process and said, we're going through this now, we're watching, and we are worried that these things could happen. So here's what we're thinking if they do happen. This is what we do. And it was amazing to watch them lead their team and to see their team get on board with that, even though it meant agreeing to potentially taking a hit personally on, on wages. I think because because they explained it, I think everyone was ready. In the end, they didn't have to do that, but it was amazing to watch how people got on board with uh, with the idea, with some really tough ideas because they were part of the process. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. When I was a superintendent in Pine Bluff, one of the things, so I went there because the school district was placed in fiscal fiscal distress. Mm. And, and so I had to come in and make some fiscal decisions immediately, like some major ones in, in a short time period. And one of those, uh, within that first year, we had to decide to close a school. Um, and when you when you close a school or even start the process, um, that's going to impact a neighborhood. That's going to impact a group of people. And one yeah. of the things I told uh, my leaders and even my uh, direct supervisor, Commissioner Key, is that we have to take time to explain the reason why we have to show, not just explain, we have to show them. And so I went through the budget. I showed them how we were deficit spending, how um, majority of our students at that particular school 
they were being bussed across the uh, across the city, passing the other elementary schools. The liability, the safety concerns uh, of the building, um, the renovation costs, and so and it was they were long meetings, you know. And I wanted to respect each group so that they feel like they had my time. So I met with the oh. students. I met with the faculty uh, and staff separately. And then I met with the parents uh, and community members separately. Because one of the things I always want to remember is that a lot of times our parents are hesitant to come to school events, district events, because they feel like at times they, they're not as informed or as knowledgeable about the inner workings of a school system as the educators. And so they don't feel like they, um, they're equals to everyone. And, and that's a lot of times because when we um, use acronyms or use educational jargon and don't take time to um, explain and, oh. and or just talk in layman's terms, you know, just um, and so I when I met with all of those groups and explained it to them, they they were okay. They they completely took ownership. This is what's best for the district. This is what we're going to do. What do you need us to do? And that to me, uh, when I read this, um, uh, that part about bringing people along with you. Before then, I would say we need to make decisions with people, with the oh. people that we're going to impact, and not at or to the people that uh, we serve. And, and to me, that's what I connected with that is that, you know, so many times we are accustomed to doing things to people or at people and not with people. And yeah. we, we definitely, as leaders, if we're going to do, make any impactful decisions or changes uh, that need to be made, um, we have to do those things with people and not to them or at them. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. We need to do things with people, not to them or at them. And, uh, you know, the thing that comes to mind for me is it's, um, you know, it, it could be the difference between, uh, I feel like when, when you're doing things with people as a leader, uh, particularly if you like things a certain way or that sometimes people are promoted because they're very good at, at you know, at dotting the I's and crossing the T's. Um, and, and doing things really well and in a linear way. And then you start managing, leading, working with people. And it's it's messy because uh, people are human beings. And it's uh, sometimes you, you want to do something with people and then you, you get hit with a curveball. And I think, but I think the truth is, you know, it reminds me of, it's a funny analogy, but it just came to mind of, uh, of cooking. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a good chef. I'm not a good cook. I can cook something basic, but I love watching... Um, you know, my, my wife's Greek and I love watching her, her mum cook or her, uh, her yaya, her, her grandma, you know, someone who's been, who's really loves Greek food and loves, and there's, and you know what, the way, the way they, the way they do it, there's so much that is, um, refined through experience, but there's a, there's a messiness to it that you, if you tried to make a note of everything they do, but then you eat it and you're just like, what have you done to this to make this? a hundred times better than than anything I could have done in a recipe book. And I feel like that's what happens in leadership. There's a there's a messiness you need to embrace where you actually go, you know what? 
it might seem easier to just do this to tell it to people or to try to skip the step where I do it with them. But I'm going to walk in the room. I'm going to have the meeting with the parents. I'm going to meet with the students. I'm going to let them into the rationale behind it. And I'm going to embrace that because at the end of the day, that's it's only through doing that that you can really make something beautiful. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, it may seem easier in the short term, but you just won't. You just don't get that that culture, that those relationships that that lead to a, a really beautiful outcome where you've got a group of people moving in the same direction, really working well together. Um, yeah, it's such a it's such a rich uh, a rich thought, Jeremy. Yeah. Well, I um I would love to uh, invite you back. For um, another conversation, because I really wanted to talk to you about educational equity, and uh, but I want to I want to really do that conversation um, well. So what I'd love to do is maybe we can do a round two another time, and we can really we can really delve into that into educational equity, into um, equity when it comes to leadership. I think I think it would be wonderful to have another conversation about that. That's a, that's an open invitation um, to come back. Uh, and uh, and to have another conversation around that, but I just as we land today, I just want to thank you for I'm your time. It. And yeah, awesome. That would be great. I think our listeners will be looking forward to that because I've just uh, I've really loved chatting today. Um, do you have any final thoughts out of uh, out of today? No, just um, I would just say uh, thank you for the opportunity to um, to join you today, and I'm looking forward to. Um, our next conversation as we dive into educational equity, uh, that's definitely a passion for me. Uh, mm. A passion of mine is um, really taking ownership of what equity is and, you know, and understanding that equity looks different um, and in every classroom, every school district, every community. And so, um, so definitely excited to, to join you again and, and start that conversation. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's a great cliffhanger because I think I'm going to learn a lot from you when we chat next time about that. And I think uh, a lot of listeners will be on the edge of their seats as well. So stay tuned for for the for the next time uh, I have Dr. Jeremy Owa on. And uh, so that brings us uh, to the end of the episode. I just want to uh, once again thank Dr. Jeremy Owa for joining me. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners for, for tuning in. Um, the heart of everything we do at, at clarity including this podcast is to invest in leaders to become everything uh, everything they're meant to be and so it's uh, it's our hope that today has uh, played a role in that in investing in your leadership and helping you to become the leader the best leader you can be and a big thank you for subscribing and following um, and liking and sharing if you really enjoyed today it uh, it really really helps us out to for a couple of things if you want to stay in the loop then make sure you subscribe or follow wherever you listen and then the other thing you can do is you can share this podcast and share this with your network, share this on social media, wherever, and uh, and that helps us to get the word out. Oh, and then the other thing you can do is also leave a review on one of the podcasts uh, because that also helps us to get in front of more leaders who we would love to to impact. But uh, thanks for listening, and we'll we'll uh, catch you next time.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process 
that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself, and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it, and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.